from the fabulous and famous Fitzpatrick's Castle Hotel in Dublin, Ireland. You're listening to the award-winning What's the Story podcast. Now, here's your hosts, Danny Murray and Graham Merrow Merrigan. Hello and welcome along to chapter 33. Did I say that right? 33. Trucker tree. <laughs> of What's the Story podcast. My name is Danny Murray and his name is Graham Merrow Merrigan. Woo! How are you? Great, Danny. Brilliant. Love it. Love it. Enjoyed this. Enjoyed this chapter. Yeah, this this is a bit of a different one. Um, we'll we'll give you a full breakdown of everything now. But before we do that, we need to let you know that we're brought to you in association by the wonderful and beautiful Fitzpatrick's Castle Hotel in Cloyney, South Dublin. Beautiful Dublin. Beautiful Ireland. Best lads, county in all of Ireland. Best county in the world. Um, lads, February's nearly over. So you're running out of time to take advantage of a great offer. If you book your party in the dungeon bar, free complimentary finger food for you and your guests. Get on it. Great people. Graham. Yeah. We're on the, the doorstep of a general election. Yeah. Uh, a, a rare phenomena in, in Irish world. And by rare phenomena, I mean it has to happen at least once every five years. <laughs> so it's not really that rare at all, is I it? I love Alton. I love, I love the election time. I've become a little bit of a geek for it. And this chapter of What's the Story podcast is uh, to help you, the listener, especially those in the Dunleary area, to form an educated opinion on some of your candidates. So to give you an idea of what's happened, um, we reached out to not all, but most, um, the candidates over the Dunleary constituency. All the major parties were contacted. Um, most of the candidates were contacted. Some candidates never got back to us, and some candidates got back to us and said that they wouldn't do it. And thankfully, and so that we can actually have this chapter, <laughs> yeah. three candidates did. So <laughs> you will be able to hear from Shane O'Brien of Sinn Fein, Cormac Devlin of Fianna Fáil, and from Renewa Ireland, Frank Cronin. So to kind of give you an idea of what's what, we did contact the Labour Party candidate, which is Carrie Smith. She was unable to do it. She we did contact two Fine Gael candidates, Maria Bailey and Mary Mitchell O'Connor. Um, Maria Bailey didn't get back to us, and Mary Mitchell O'Connor um, did reply. Well, her, her I presume her secretary or her yeah. assistant uh, uh, replied and gave us a contact number to contact, which uh, was out of service. Um, Carrie Smith too busy. replied, too busy. just couldn't agree a time. She was too busy. Too busy. Which um, look, we hey, didn't reach out to the independent candidate. Carl Hunt. Which, uh, yeah. apologies, Carl. Um, and we didn't reach out to Oshin Timon. Is it Oshin? I think it's Oshin. O-S-S-A-I-N. I think that's a weird way of spelling Oshin. Okay, well, that guy. From the Green Party. Is um, it the Green Party? I thought he was no. independent as well, sorry. No, I think he's part of the hippies. I mean, Greens. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, look, I suppose... We, we, we just wanted to get the main parties. I was going to say, what we, we were, were trying like to... RTE. Yeah, what we were trying <laughs> to do was we were trying to narrow the field down. Look, I'm not saying this to be bad to the other candidates. I'm not saying that they can't offer anything that others can. But we have to be realistic about the Dunleary constituency in the sense that it's a four-seater constituency. However, Sean Barrett, as Kevin Carla, is entitled to have his seat in the 32nd Dáil without having to stand election because he was Kevin Carla. So that's one seat gone. 
Then you have to look at it and you'll say, okay, so it's a four-seater. It's technically down to a three-seater. There's 117,000-odd people going to vote in this constituency. Mary Mitchell O'Connor is pretty much guaranteed her seat back. Whether we like it or not, that's that's up to you. That's up to the voters. But she is more or less guaranteed <laughs> her seat back. And then you'd have to look at it. probably say the same decision by Paddy Power that Richard Boy Barrett is probably... I was going to say. As well. I was going to say the next person who was favourite to retain their seat, or to get a seat, but retain obviously being the apt word, would be Richard Boyd Barrett, who we didn't feel the need to invite on this time around because we had had Richard Boyd Barrett on previously. So and he gave us a taste of some of his um, kind of policies. Be- yeah, before he, he let so. us know what he was about. Like yeah, um, at that stage, obviously the general election hadn't been called. Plus, I was talking to Richie; he doesn't mind. Yeah. Um, Graham's a friend of Richard. We feel, in the interest of fairness, we need to. You'd be a, a friend supporter. Hey, I'm voting Richie in the story. There you go. Um, I knew who I was voting before we decided to put this out, so. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm not shy about that. Absolutely. And look, in the interest of fairness, I don't see there's any any real deal. Like, we're not. Or is he just the other beauty of it? We're not RTE. We're not 3FM. We're not News Talk. We're not TV3. We are not. For want of a better way of putting this, we don't have to play ball to the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland's rules and regulations pertaining to fairness and unbiased coverage of a general election. We can do what the hell we want. We're on, <laughs> we're on Tinternet. And therefore, we have a license tomorrow. So long as we're not defaming anybody and we're not being slanderous of anybody, we, we can say things that maybe other people can't. We don't have to give as much time to one candidate as we do the other. We don't have to be fair and balanced in terms of, you know, we gave this person a chance to talk about this, but we didn't give this person a chance to, to, to reply to that. Um, in the Like, in the interest of being decent folk, I think we've tried to do as much of that as we can. Yeah. But in terms of expressing our personal opinion on who we want to vote for and that kind of thing, we can do so. But you can't because you're undecided. I am undecided. Even after speaking to a number of candidates in this process, I'm still undecided. So, Well, I'm, I'm up in the air. Well, no, I'm not really up in the air. But I will be voting for Sinn Féin and People Before Profit in our area. Okay, so um, you th- they've done enough to win you over. They've done enough to win me over. Um, I remain unconvinced by both. Yeah, well, they've done enough for me. Um, I... I think I will be only voting one or two, one and two. I think I'll be leaving the rest blank. Okay. Um, can you tell me? Yeah. Like, if I vote, if I if I vote you number one. Yeah, which you should do. Vote Annie Murray number one. And if I vote me number two. Vote Graham Erdogan number two, or give him my. T- you know what? What what happens there? Okay, so like, I can get your transfers. Yeah, so it's a system that's called proportional representation. So what that means is that when you go into your ballot box, you'll get a sheet of paper with all the candidates on it, and essentially you number them in preference of who you would want to see elected first. So in Britain, they have a first-past-the-post system, but over here we don't, so it's different. So what will happen is, let's just say that the quota to get elected is 10,000 votes. Do we know what the quota is? We won't until the 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 the, the, the day. Oh, the tally. Yeah, I think it goes down to, to like voter turnout, that kind of thing, etc., etc., etc. So let's just say, for the sake of argument, I think in the last election, I think it was actually like eleven thousand nine hundred. But let's just say, for the sake of it, it's ten thousand. All right. That would mean I I get twelve thousand. I mean, I would have two thousand transfers available. 
which could then, if you are number two, be given to you. And so on and so forth down the line. So then if you get elected then, so let's say you have 8,700 first preferences and then you get my 2,000 second preferences. So that puts you over. Your surplus then goes down the line to the number threes, the number fours, the number fives, and so on until all the seats are filled. So in this case, four seats, but technically only three because Sean Barrett's a Carla and he doesn't have to stand election. So in the last general election, Eamon Gilmore got returned first in the Dunleary constituency. His surplus was Dermot Divido. I think it was Mary Mitchell O'Connor was the next in. Um, then it was Sean Barrett, I think. Or Sean Barrett and Mary Mitchell O'Connor might have been the other way around. Yeah. But either way, it's two for And then it went down I think it was to... was Mary Mitchell's O'Connor's first candidate. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure, but yeah, I seem to remember that. Um, and then it went down to, for the fourth seat, um, which was basically a head-to-head between Richard Boyd Barrett, People for a Profit, and Ivana Bagic, or Bacic, of, of Labour. Labour. And there was a lot of, I don't want to say controversy, but there was certainly... Um, yeah, she wanted a recount. Was, I think there was demands of a recount, there was issues, but then eventually she conceded. Richard Boyd Barrett got in on the fourth count on the process of everybody else had been eliminated. He didn't actually reach the quota. So that can happen also. So yeah. if it comes down to the last seat and all other candidates have been eliminated, but you haven't hit the quota... If you've got the most out, if you, effectively if you're the last person standing, you get in that way. Do you think um, the bookies odds would suggest? And just I'm just asking about Richard Boy Barrett here, because he. The reason I ask as well is because he was so he, he narrowly got in the last time. Do you think it's a testament, possibly to his work done over the last five years, that he's now a, a, a favourite at one to seven? I. Well, he's not Mary Mitchell O'Connor's favourite at one fourteen. Oh, oh, she? She is 14 to 1 on. Well, yeah. we're a Fina Gael, Fina Gael uh, stronghold, really, isn't it? Yeah, historically, this, this county has been, or this constituency, rather, has been Fina Gael stronghold, along with a little bit of Fianna Fáil. Um, essentially, it was started in 1948, so the 13th doll, one year before we officially became a republic. Um, and it's been going ever since. There has been border recommissions, and there's been constituency redrawns and that kind of thing so that the number of voters in the area has Increased. fluctuated gone yeah. up and down from time to time it's gone from four seater to a five seater and back to a four seater again but you've always had a consistent in the sense of you've always had a Fianna Gael or you've always had like you had the Andrews family who hmm. almost had a monopoly so you had uh, uh, Barry, Bar- Barry and Andrews and David Andrews David Andrews for who was Dave McSavage's brother and father there you go comedian um, the Savage Eye there you go um, so you had the Andrews family, who I think it was over 30 years they held a seat in this constituency, which is phenomenal when you think about it, but it also asks the question of, you know, nepotism within Irish politics. But that's a completely different battle. That's not what we're here to talk about. Mm. Um, so He's 1-7. to seven. He's 1-7. to seven, um, And I think I wouldn't like to, to, to almost insult him by saying it's just over the last five years. I think I'm fair. And I, I openly admit it, and I said it when we had Richard Boy Barrett on, I didn't vote for him at all in the last time around. told him in his face. <laughs> I do, well, look, I'm going to be open and honest about it. I didn't vote for him at all in the last time. Um, I, I wouldn't like to say it's just over the last five years he's done a lot of work yeah. to carve himself out. I think what he's done very well is he's carved out a niche oh, in the, within this area that he's got this core support that are... I, I don't know, to, to try and describe, I suppose, we're almost like football fans in the sense that they actually support him. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That, like, that is a very fair, and it's a good, good yeah, explanation. Yeah, he, he does have this 
course analogy is that the word analogy it's yeah, a good yeah. analogy he has this core support that you don't see with some of the other politicians in this area in the sense that the people who are behind him are passionate about being behind him which i think is a very hard thing to do so the fact that Especially he has politics. yeah so the fact that he has that would certainly lead me to believe that he rightfully is odds on to retain his seat which means of the four seats we're down to one left yeah and that one then is to be fought out between Frank Cronin of Renewa, Shane O'Brien of Sinn Féin, uh, Maria Car- Bailey of Fianna Gael, Carol Hunt, Carol Hunt the Independent, Cormac Devlin of Fianna Fáil, Mary Hannafin, former Minister and TD of Fianna Fáil, you know, uh, Oshin Who we Pimmon. actually didn't reach out to. Uh, no, we didn't because we got Cormac Devlin instead and I wasn't bringing two Fianna Fáilers on. Yeah. Same way I wouldn't bring two Fianna Gaelers on, I wouldn't bring... just no. One, but we asked one Maria and Mary Mitchell Connor. Well, that's because uh, Mary Mitchell couldn't do it. Oh, yeah. You know. I get you. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the outgoing government parties are not represented at all in this podcast because they, they didn't come on. Now, I'm not I'm not trying to say that in a kind of like, they didn't come on, how dare they? Yeah. I'm saying it in a kind of, look, it's election time. They're very, very busy. They may not just generally have had, you know, and uh, to, to peel back the curtain a little bit, we record in the evening time, which may be a time that they see more valuable to be out on the doorsteps. Yeah. We don't know. Like, Look, they have their reasons. Like the evening we interviewed Frank Cronin, where he left us and went straight out to a canvas. Straight out canvassing again. That's that's mm. the type of man he is. He said, look, lads, I'd love to stay and have a longer chat with us, but i got to get out there and i got to, you know, meet people and hear what they want in this area. I think so. it's interesting to note as well, we didn't want to use, when interviewing the, the three candidates, we didn't want to use the Vincent Brown or Pat Kenny style. We still wanted to stick to our sit-down-at-the-pub type of chat. But yeah. we did ask... Yeah, we tried to ask, you know... We did ask the, the, the questions that yeah. we felt were, I were worth asking. I was disappointed in myself that I, I missed out on some. I am, I am, in the but sense that... the time just flew by. Yeah, it did. Like we, Essentially, we've given an hour to each candidate. So the way that... You're going to hear this intro no matter which one you're listening to. So if you listen to all three, you can fast forward the intro, essentially. But we're going to basically release the three candidates at once. This intro will be uniform to all of them. But obviously the candidate speaking then would be different. We've tried to ask pretty much the same questions, but on some candidates it veered a different way. And if you've listened to this podcast before, you will know that myself and Graham in particular are quite fond of if a tangent comes along, jumping on board and going with it. So, you know, we try to be fair, we try to be open, we try to be as relaxed as possible while asking questions that we think people would want to hear. The whole idea of this one, because we're not... A political podcast, and I don't claim to be a political expert in any way, shape, or form. I do. That's fine. <laughs> <Money job. laughs> what, what we were trying to do was to give people an idea of why they should. Because look, even if they aren't on the doorsteps, you don't always see a poli- you don't always hear from a politician. Like you mightn't be in when they call to your door, so all you get is a leaflet in the door. You know what I mean? So what we we're trying to do was to give you a chance to learn about a candidate in a way that isn't just on, you know. Vincent Brown or Sean O'Rourke or Pat Kenny or, or Ray Darcy or whatever the case may be. This is just, look, why should we vote you? That, like literally one of the questions we asked on every single candidate is, why should a number one be put beside your name? Did, did When we haven't finished the interviews, yeah. are you still undecided? Very much so. Yeah. I think I've, I've more questions than answers, if I'm being perfectly honest about it. Yeah. Um, they were all lovely people. Yeah. As people, they're all lovely, but rather I agree with their policies or rather I agree with their ideas. 
I'm not so sure. And that's up to me now over the next few days to decide who am I going... Because I am going to vote. I I do see it as uh, not so much a duty, but I do think, look, you have a vote, use it. Um, Even if you are disillusioned, use your vote, make it count. Because if you don't, then when it comes to the next five years and you want to have a whinge and a moan, you've done nothing to influence that. All you're doing is cribbing. Use your vote. So... Um. I was talking to a few people um, in work and I was asking them where they voting but yeah. a couple of them were saying they're not registered and it's too late now I know it's too late but my point the, the reason I bring it up is that the hassle to get registered is crazy Like it's not that much hassle you need to go to the Garda station you need to go to the yeah. council you need to get a stamp That's you don't have to go to the Garda station or the council I thought you had to go to the one. someone told me in work that you had to get the form from the Garda station the stamp and then bring it to the council no you can post it I only know because I went through this with my girlfriend before the, the, the same-sex referendum last year. Okay, so tell us where, the procedure. Well, essentially what we done, we went to the post office, got the form, filled it in, brought it to the guards, got a stamp, put it in the post, and she was registered, on checkedregister.ie. Yeah, surely it could be something easier, though. On, Why do you like, need to get a guard stamp? Same reason you have to get your passport stamp by a guard. Why? To verify who no, you are. No, I know, but... Well, so you're suggesting there should be an online system where any Tom, Dick or Harry can go in and then it leaves it no, out No, but you've got your PPS number. Okay. So why don't you just register with your PPS number? Okay, and how would you do that? Online? Yeah. So what if I got somebody else's PPS number? Yeah, I suppose so. You know what I mean? Don't be attacking me. I'm no, only I'm bringing it up. No, I'm just saying. I'm only bringing it up because I never had to register. I was yeah. automatically, my polling card was sent out. So Which I didn't know. And I think that is the one actually through PPS numbers, funnily enough. I, I think that automated one, but... I didn't... That was over 10 years ago yeah. I didn't know the procedure for registering I was just asking people over lunch are you voting yeah. and they said no I, I still have to register I don't know I think some and people I just, they told me and I was like geez, that sounds like a rigmarole I don't know and I'm not saying this is the case for, for the people you're talking to but I think some people like to make mountains out of molehills and I think they like to make what is a fairly straightforward process a bit like when I moan to you about having to edit this podcast straightforward process but I like to have a moan about it so that it seems like it's a lot more than it is <laughs> and therefore I have to justify putting so much time do you know what I mean yeah. I think that might play a part in it but um, are you going to apologise about attacking me there no I'm not going to apologise about attacking you there was a tone in your voice there which I didn't find acceptable that's alright you don't have to find it acceptable yeah, but the tone, the tone is there like. just you know it's alright are we going to air our dirty laundry on this <laughs> podcast is that how it's going I don't know <laughs> um, but like uh, yeah, no, if if there was a town, I do apologise. <laughs> it was more so I just, I I don't know, I just get frustrated when people presume things are more difficult than they are without actually... I, I just thought when they described it to me, I was thinking, like if I, wanna, if I want to apply for any tax or whatever like that, you just yeah. give your PBS number, you know, and it's it's given to you. And yeah, but it's a different, it's a different kettle of fish, isn't it? I don't understand that no, phrase. I don't, like, sorry, this is completely off topic, but what, what exactly is a kettle of fish and why is it different to other kettles of fish and why do people compare things in kettle of fish? Padre Flynn loves all those sayings because yeah. he doesn't know what they mean. I don't know. Like, I've heard that experience. It's not just me that says that. I've heard that saying so many times, but I've absolutely no idea what it's in a kettle of fish. Are fish measured in kettles? <laughs> I don't know. No, it's a school of fish, isn't it? So, a different school of fish. I don't know. I don't know, man. Gone off on a tangent there. Sorry. Um... So look, it's not that hard to register. It's not. Register in time. It's not. Look, there's going to be other... What about if you've moved house and you need to get your polling card to the new address? Is you that, need, you need is to that hassle? It. No, you can just update it online there. That's a different story altogether as far as I know. Now, I haven't... I, I don't know because I've never had to do it. I've always yeah. been in this constituency. 
But either way, if it's a case that your polling card, if you haven't updated your details, you're still entitled to vote in, in the other constituency. So, for example, if you live in Wicklow, but you are registered in Dunleary, yeah. it's not like you lose your vote, just you have to vote in Dunleary yeah, rather yeah, than... Yeah. So, you know... Brock, um, that's Brock. Brock's after he's moving. He's after moving the Greystones. So there you go, there's he an never, example. Yeah, he never changed yeah. the house, so he has to go to um, vote up in here. Up that's here it. In but I suppose to come back on to kind of this constituency of Dunleary, and I suppose I know unconscious the fact there's people who are listening who aren't from the Dunleary constituency, but like our South Korean listeners, like our South. Shout out to the lads. <laughs> <laughs> I must learn some South Korean yeah, words yeah. now. Like if if there are Russian listeners, someone suggested that we f- seek out the South Korean listeners and have them on as a guest. I'm do not a Skype. Sh- yeah, that, all right. I'm up for that. Why not? Like, imagine. Oh my god! <laughs> imagine it turned out it was soy, and we all just doing Gangnam Style. <laughs> can you imagine that? Have I just completely stereotyped all Koreans? Into yeah, yeah, big time on a political broadcast. I'd like to distance <laughs> any of our guests from what I have just said. That's just my small. Small brain, not being able to process the global size of the globe. That doesn't even make sense either. No. Back to Dunleary, which I do know about. <laughs> I know not everybody listening is from this constituency. But we've tried to do it in a way that it touches. We, we Look, every, everything that we do on this podcast, we try to give a little bit of belly brack to the world. Because me and Graham are from the brack and we love the brack. And the brack is part of the Dunleary constituency and the borough. And we I try more than you do. Okay. <laughs> what are you joking? Fair enough. Like I don't, I don't. I love the people more than I love you. <laughs> One nil. <laughs> um, so you can love the brack, but it's the people that matter. Beat that. I should have been a politician. <laughs> you should have been. Um, so we try to bring a little bit of that community to a wide scale audience, and what we've done is we've asked the the, the, the candidates to give what their party nationwide represents, to try and broaden the horizons a little bit for people. But to give you an idea of Dunleary, as we said, it's traditionally a Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil constituency. Since the 80s, then Democratic left kind of edged their way in with Gilmore and co. That turned into Labour, and Labour have had a seat. But I generally don't think Labour are going to retain their seat this time around. No, I don't think so. Sinn Féin have never held a seat in this constituency. Ever. In the history of this constituency, they've never, ever, ever held a seat. I, I don't know. I don't think that's going to change this time around. It's going to be very hard based on history, yeah. I was going to say, facing it, like, in truth, they're battling for one seat and history isn't on their side with this one. No. So, I don't, like, look, I wish all all the candidates well, but this is just me speculating. Yeah. So, but, um, look, enough waffling out of you and I. Shall we just let them hear from the people who matter? Yeah. You're listening to What's the Story podcast. General Election Special 2016. Get out there on Poland Day. Put a number beside the candidate that you want. Make it happen. Vote or die. <laughs> Remember that campaign? Vote or die. What was that again? Was that Barack Obama 2008? Was it? I think I remember Jay Z and all going, vote or die. Oh, I do remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They had a big concert and all. They did. It's very dramatic. Yeah. In truth, lads, if you don't vote, like, all it's The Rock happen. got involved. Rock your vote. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Man. Irish Rock, pol- what a man. Irish politics is lacking some serious person. Imagine the what, Rock. Dwayne Johnson? <laughs> yeah, imagine the Rock coming over here and just walking into the doll and just being like, yeah, come on. If, deadly, if you smell it? what Ender Kenny's cooking or something. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it'd be deadly, wouldn't it? He can't, the last couple of weeks, we can't go a week without mentioning any wrestling That's or wrestling. That's true, we're mad for wrestling. Anyway, look, lads. Um, as I said, this intro is the same for all 
the candidate so you can skip this essentially skip to the 25 minute point and you'll hear from the candidate so look listen to it the first time though yeah <laughs> so once you've listened to this intro once you don't have to listen to it again you can just skip to the 25 minute mark and that's where the candidates kick in and that's where you'll be able to educate yourself on rather you want to vote for them or you don't simple as that but anyway look thanks for listening um enjoy the candidates so we're now joined by a Fianna Fáil candidate for the 2016 general election, Cormac Devlin. Uh, Cormac has been a councillor in the Dunleary area for over 10 years and is seeking election for the first time um, in terms of the general election. Uh, Cormac, firstly, thanks for taking time out of what must be a hectic enough schedule. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Cormac. Oh, it's great to have you on. Um, I suppose, like, first things first, how, how are things going at the moment? It's, it's you know, a short enough run up to, to Poland Day. How, how are things going on doorsteps at the moment? Yeah, very good. Uh, obviously, like all candidates, it's a hectic time uh, for the candidate themselves, their families, their friends, uh, anybody that they know that they can drag in to help out on the campaign trail. Um, but certainly the feedback has been very positive. Um, but there's a lot of concern out there. There's a lot of issues that people are facing. Um, and, you know, while the government talk of this recovery or so-called recovery you know, a lot of people are not seeing any benefit of that. And so that's coming up quite a bit. Uh, and, you know, there's going to be, uh, I'm sure we'll get into it, but there's a lot of issues that are uh, coming up, reoccurring uh, across the area. Uh, and so people have uh, a lot to be concerned about. Absolutely. And as I said, we, we will get on to things like that and we will discuss them more in detail. But I suppose, firstly, give people an idea of kind of your own background so you grew up in the area yourself yes i did yeah yeah okay and um i, I grew up in the area uh, and i went to school in prez and glastow um before that obviously primary i was in harold boys and dawkey um so very much kind of ingrained in the area and um then i was 15 when i first applied to join fianna fall uh, they told me i was too young come back i did um, and so at 16, I got involved with the Mary McAleese campaign, actually, her presidential, her initial presidential run. At 16? Yeah. And um, so that was a great time, like any time. In fact, like the current time, I suppose, for anybody interested in getting involved in politics, it's a great time because when there's an election, particularly a national election, there's a great buzz. Every team, every party is geared up to it. Uh, the challenge uh, of getting a seat or holding on to a seat, as the case may be, uh, is 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 real, um, and uh, and so that's really my first taste of a national campaign. Followed then by the general election, um, where Fianna Fáil came from opposition to go back into power, uh, and uh, and then I suppose shortly after that, um, that was kind of ninety six, ninety seven. And then following that uh, and, and school and all that kind of stuff, I uh, decided I'd run for a local election uh, and I was selected at the age of 22. And a mere boy. I a mere think. boy. Yeah. Am I not still a mere boy? <laughs> <laughs> Am I getting old here, Danny? Um, but, uh, but no, and then uh, I was uh, selected and lucky enough to be elected uh, at the age of 23, uh, one of the youngest in the country at the time. And uh, and now, 12 years on, I suppose I'm now considered maybe one of the older uh, people on the council, which freaks me out a little bit. <laughs> um, but uh, but now I go back to being the youngest, or one of the youngest, certainly, in this election. And yeah. uh, and, and so that's a good feel factor. It's like being in Tiernanog or something, you know, you're, you're back to your, your youth. Um, but uh, so certainly, and, and in that brings advantages in the sense that 
um, you can relate to the issues that your peers are, are dealing with. And I think that's a lot of cohorts. You're talking about a lot of young people, yeah, people with children, families, um, caring for maybe their parents, all the issues that go with, I suppose, our own age group. Um, and uh, and so those challenges that people are facing, you can relate to them. Um, and Absolutely. So, so that kind of brings me into why I'm contesting the election and all the issues that relate re- relate from that. Was Fianna Fáil a, a family tradition or w- w- how was Fianna Fáil picked as the, as the party to join? Yeah, well, for, for me, my parents were members of the party um, and I suppose they kind of think I'm a bit cracked to even go into the public side of it because it's obviously completely different in terms of being a member of a party and then being a public rep for a party. Um, but uh, but thankfully, um, my family are very supportive of uh, of me being in politics, and um, and I've got great support from family and friends throughout the years, and, and obviously members of the organisation. But yeah, they were they were members, um, and I suppose it's in the blood. Um, but even as a teenager, I I ensured I was very aware of all the policies um, of all the political parties, um, and I suppose like many people, you know, it rubs off on you. And, and your upbringing and all that has, has a bearing on your political outlook. Um, so for me, it was Fianna Fáil. So you mentioned that you applied at the age of 15. You were told you're too young. So a year later at 16, you joined. Most 15 and 16-year-olds seem to be more concerned about, about Xbox or... You no, know, we didn't have Xbox what? in my day. <laughs> <laughs> Sega Mega Drives or, you know, or was, well, you know either Liverpool or... Sonic the Hedgehog, again. I think, was in, in 2D. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good it's game. It's back friends. again now, I believe, yeah. yeah. I have it on my phone. <laughs> it's mad, and it? used to be, like, on my, ex, or on, my, uh, on my telly, and now it's on my phone. It's weird. Um, but how, like, at 15, 16, how were you so sure that there's something I want to get heavily involved in, like... Well, I suppose as far back as I can remember, I always had an interest in current affairs, you know, um, and uh, even as a boy, I kind of just always had an interest in what was happening in the world and in the area and everything else. And I suppose from that just stemmed on a natural interest in, in politics and uh, and it just it's been a passion. And to this day, as I said, 12 years on, I've, I'm as passionate about it as I was when I started. And and I think in politics, that's important. You, I genuinely don't believe you can be um, in politics if you don't enjoy and like what you do. Um, because it, like everything, I suppose, no more like yourselves doing what you're doing here, you have to enjoy it um, yeah. in order to give it 110%. And... Um, but I still do, thankfully. So as long as I feel that, then I'll continue on. Well, that's, you know? Yeah, that is, that, that is half the battle, I suppose. Yeah. Um, okay, so you've been obviously a councillor then um, in the Dunleary area for over 10 years now. What have you learned or what, what have you, you know, what has been your, what's the best experience you can think of to come from that that puts you into the doll or would make you a better candidate than the others for the doll? Well, I suppose to answer the first part of that question is in terms of my own experience and, and from 2004 to current day, uh, there's been a shift. Obviously, you know, the economy itself has changed. So the issues in which people are facing have changed. And we've also seen in terms of, like, for instance, housing, uh, you know, the lists have dramatically changed in terms of the numbers growing on the housing list, uh, you know, the lack of housing. Um, the number of people and the people presenting for housing, all those are huge changes. Um, And I suppose every single housing scheme that is either proposed or passed or even completed 
uh, is 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 good to to see, and um, particularly now in this current climate, um, is good. But even individual queries can be a great source of 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 pride if if you can get something done for somebody, and that can be something as mundane as you know, a light outside their house that they've been pestering a council for. Or, it's it's funny you should use that example. A friend of ours, um, actually, when I, when I said I was going to have yourself on the podcast, he said, oh, he got me straight, he fixed me. There you go. So it's funny you should say, just <laughs> so, straight into my head there. Like, and, you know, you know but it, it can be something as simple as that, but that mm. can be a big issue for somebody because it might mean, you know, there's a security problem outside their house. I've just come from a canvas there where... Um, the, the whole estate seems to have had a problem with burglaries, and and they are up in the constituency. Um, yeah, Shane uh, O'Brien actually mentioned as well that he, he a number of people had mentioned that to him. So it does every seem to estate be, I've yeah. gone into in this particular campaign, uh, and you know the Gardaí, we're down twenty percent. I mean, I'll get into the stats of it, but certainly, uh, you know, so if somebody's light is out, for example, uh, that can be the biggest issue for them when you knock on their door. Equally, it could be something much more serious. Um, be Depending it, uh, on their experiences, is it really, really? precisely, yeah. Or indeed, like a child the other day I met uh, who's uh, terminally ill, and the medical card wasn't renewed. You know, uh, and and obviously that is going to be a huge issue in that house, and rightly so. Um, but you know, so so getting any of those issues resolved is a part and parcel of our job, but B is a massive amount of pride. Uh, to be able to resolve them uh, if you can. And, and of course, sometimes you can't. And that's the frustrating part of politics or indeed the delay that sometimes these things take. Okay, so the, the campaign trail. So, I mean, it's been deemed a very short run, run up to this election, but obviously for guys like yourselves and other candidates, the work started a long time ago. This isn't just three weeks of work. Correct. It's just now three weeks getting pushed. And yes, that's, precisely. So on the doorsteps, we said at the start, you know, it's been largely positive so far, you're saying. Yeah. Is there an element, though, of people still kind of thinking, Fianna Fáil maybe put us in a little bit of this mess? Have you encountered much of that at all on the doorstep? Yeah, yes, I have. And, um, and and you know, people have a right to be angry. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons why we're calling, is to listen to the concerns that they have. Uh, and unfortunately, for some people, um, they've been told that... Uh, certainly by the government parties that, oh, that's Fianna Fáil's fault. Uh, mm. For example, the Irish water saga, um, you know, when in actual fact the government had it in a manifesto since 2000, and, or sorry, Fine Gael had it in their manifesto since 2009, long before the arrival of the IMF. Um, so, you know, it depends on their anger and is it correctly directed? Some of it is, absolutely. Uh, some of it's not. Um, but the reason why we're calling is to ensure that people get a chance to talk to whoever uh, they want to air their concerns or grievances with. Um, but by and large, I have to say it's been very positive. And as you rightly pointed out, as a new candidate, somebody who's never been a general election candidate before, uh, I think there's a, a kind of a hunger and eagerness for somebody new and for a new generation to represent the constituency here. And that's something that keeps coming back and, and coming up to me on, on the doors. And so that's, I think, reason for a positive. Let, let's say, right, just in my own experience, okay, I'll be totally honest. I'm, say I'm watching any of the current affairs programs at the moment, the, the panel shows, the questions and answer shows. And, for example, uh, Michal Martin, your leader, was on um, Vincent, Brown last Vincent Brown last mm-hmm. night. So Michal Martin had a pivotal role in, in your party during the bad times, the 
the last 10 years. So when I'm watching anyone question someone like Michal Martin, and Michal Martin is saying, you know, he's coming up with suggestions on how to fix things. I'm constantly frustrated and shouting at the telly, you are part of the party that's, that got us into this mess. Every time. For someone like me that you're approaching with that example on the doorsteps, is it a case of, look, I'm asking for forgiveness. I'm asking you to forget. To, 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 we made a mistake. Yes, the IMF came to town. That was all embarrassing. But I'm, I am a member of the party, but we've, we made mistakes and these are my ideas. Well, it's, 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 it's a mixture of that um, because, you know... Miho Martin, I suppose, has apologised for his own role and the government that got things wrong uh, while he was in cabinet. Um, but that being said, that's not obviously considering the uh, impact it's had on so many people and in so many different ways. For many, that's not going to cut it, and I understand that. Um, uh, and what I would say is, is that... I'm not um, trying to hide from any bad decisions that the party has taken, be it in the last five years, 10 years, 50 years. Um, but there have been many good decisions as well taken. Um, but what I am saying to the public is that uh, there's an opportunity here to represent, to elect uh, a new generation um, of, of young people to represent this constituency uh, in the Dáil. And out of my own experience through being 12 years on the council or indeed working locally with community groups, uh, that I'd bring that experience to represent the constituency in, in, in Dáil Éireann if, if I'm lucky enough to, to be elected. But certainly um, there is no doubt and people have said to me about, you know, why are you running for Fianna Fáil uh, or why wouldn't you run independent or why? You know, for me, uh, I've seen the good that the party has done um, and I'm very proud to be a member of Fianna Fáil and pr- proud to be a representative of of the party. And in fact, the cam- at my own campaign launch, David Andrews, who was a TD for over 40 years here, uh, was at my launch and happy to endorse my candidacy. And I'm delighted with that because to me... And Mary O'Rourke. And Mary, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Yes, and Mary would be delighted with that mention. She's, <laughs> but yeah, but in, in fairness, to have somebody like David, who, who, who was so influential in politics in this particular constituency for so many years, mm. uh, that meant a lot to me. So I'm uh, very much steeped, obviously, in the party, um, but uh, recognising that to me, I'd like to do things differently. And I think that's important. Well, even you, you very kindly gave us um, your, your campaign literature when you came in. I'm just looking at the slogan there is new politics, new vision. Um, but just to touch on kind of what Graham said about Michal Martin and maybe there being a legacy there, your running partner or, or Fianna Fáil's second candidate in this constituency is Mary Hannafin, who was also a, a minister during the previous Fianna, Fianna Fáil government. It's just with something like new politics, new vision, is it hard to disassociate the potential toxicity of the previous generation of Fianna Fáil when your your running partner is still attached? Well, I think I think the important thing is as a, as a, as a team, uh, and, you know, you're right, uh, Mary and I are both on the ticket, and really it's, um, I suppose, it's Fianna Fáil um, on the cusp of, of potentially something new where we have uh, a new generation emerging 
uh, of people who remember all of us would be classified as maybe the Celtic Tiger children. Mm. Um, and I remember at the time prior to the to the bust um, that people would often say, well, you guys have never known it bad. Well, that can't be said anymore because we've known it being very good and we've known it being very bad in all the very short period of time. And so for me, I take that experience and that would be slightly different to say maybe somebody of Mary's generation, you know, and so we're two different uh, candidates, as it were. Um, and and so uh, we're, I think it's a very strong team. I think it's a very strong ticket. Uh, Mary has different experience to me. She has cabinet experience, etc. Uh, I have local council experience in dealing with people, uh, you know, across the area on a local level. Um, but uh, I suppose it's harnessing that experience and bringing it to the public and saying, look, as, as, as a candidate, this is what I bring. And, and it is slightly different to what Mary brings, but that's, you, that's the beauty of a ticket. You, you touched there on you would be more involved at kind of almost a local level. You'd have almost almost better experience, certainly in recent times, of things that are going on at ground level within the constituency that you're running. One of the things we've been asking people is the town of Dunleary would have long been kind of an economic hub of this constituency. Correct. And for a lot of people in Dunleary, they're saying since Dundrum has been built, Dundrum Town Centre, Dunleary has faced a kind of painful demise. You know, you talk to people, like we use the example of Jim's Barbershop, which has mm. been around for, we don't know how long, <laughs> as longer than Dunleary, it seems. You know, <laughs> bits, and, Jim. Yeah, bits and pieces I across could do the road, with a visit know. to him, actually. <laughs> it's a great program, this. I mean, <laughs> okay, yeah. You know, but Sponsored like, by Jim. The, uh, like the small businesses, the, you know, the, the self-employed, these people who are at the very heartbeat of all the economy, what is it that you can offer? What is it that you can provide if given the opportunity that will make their life better, that will give the extra few quid in their pocket? Because ultimately, that's what people are going to look for. Yeah, well, I'd say there's a few things there. Um, first of all, you know, we have to look at uh, Dunleary Town uh, in isolation of other factors. And uh, I've long said that, and I've worked with the Business Association in all its various guises in, in the town, to ensure that, uh, to me, if you strip away all the other comp- competing interests, so be it Dundrum or towns and villages on the outskirts of Dunleary Town, Dunleary Town, in its, as an entity on its own, should be thriving. And so if you look at either two shopping centres, I mean, it's it's quite hard to believe that there's a town on a coastline with all public transport going in and out of it, uh, with two shopping centres, a cinema, restaurants, a hotel, in fact, two hotels, mm. you know, and it's not doing well. Yeah. Um, and so, and, and it's got residential all around it. So one has to wonder, what is the problem in itself? And I have long held the belief that the retail mix in Dunleary Town is wrong and is poor. That's not to say anything to do with the existing um, shops, but on, as you rightly said, many of them have survived through thick and thin to be in where they are now, and they've done exceptionally well to do that. But uh, with competition and with a broader range of shops brings a broader interest into the town, and therefore it would bring greater footfall and all the spin-offs that come from that. What do you mean the retail mix? The type of shops, the range of shops, uh, for example, men's clothes, okay, mm. you've got Fruin and Aylward, uh, you've got Shaw's, Dunn's to a certain extent, um, I'm going to forget somebody now, uh, but you know, it, it's very limited, um, whereas, you mean, and you've got you motion mean picture, expand, that a bit? expand it, expand the offer of that, 
expand the offer of women's clothes as well. A lot of young women have said to me that they, they have to go to Dundrum to shop because there's not enough in Dunleary. Like, for instance, when Awear closed, that was a big <coughs> loss. There was a number of other kind of shops in the town that apparently they, they shopped in. So it's about trying to have an... Uh, we're not trying to recreate Dundrum, or we shouldn't try recreate the big high street names of Dundrum. Dunleary should be, as you rightly point out, the independent retailers who are the small, uh, you know, family-owned businesses where possible to ensure that the town has a wider range and a better offering. And I think that'll entice the people uh, on their doorsteps to come down to the town and help. And I think that'll help it revive, you know. There's things like, I suppose, the farmer's market that goes on to People's Park, and that does be quite busy, in fairness. But 10 minutes up the road, as you mentioned, there's two shopping centres, one of them in particular, Dunleary Shopping Centre, the, the the old one, the one that's been there for since the sixties, I think it is. It, there's so many empty units in it. It's it's a shopping centre that I mean, the, the upper floors are completely mm-hmm. empty. vacant. There, yeah. There's nothing in them. And I remember as a kid, you you get the seven or the one eleven down from Ballybrack, and you spend your Saturday afternoon in Dunleary walking models, around. Models, toy master, there yeah. was everything up All there. All those things, and, you know? yeah. So what what has been done, or what it will be done to entice these people? Then you mentioned like family run business, small. Is it rent? Fares. That's, co- that's there's, a, there's a number of factors, and that could be one of them. Um, but let me give you an, another example. Um, and and I was only speaking at an event this morning about this. Mm. Uh, in 2008 or 2009, Dunstores applied for a um, planning application on the main street um, for their unit. Now, a lot of people aren't aware that Dunn's own from, say, North, beside McDonald's, the lane beside McDonald's, uh, which we all know, uh, yeah. all the way up to Northumberland Avenue. Yeah. And that large chunk is owned by Dunn's. Uh, and a lot of those shops are vacant and have been vacant for many years. They applied for a planning application for a four-storey uh, development with a rooftop food court upstairs encased in glass. Really, really nice, high classy development. I Beside would, McDonald's? No, yeah, yeah, for that whole stretch the of whole shops. Stretch. And I supported that because I was on the council at the time. And I said to the, to the council, I said, we need this planning application to go ahead because I felt that at, that at the time in 2009 that it would be a great injection of investment in the town. If you got somebody like Dunn's or even the other shopping centres to revamp or re- revitalise their premises, that would instill confidence in other people to come in and invest in Dunleary Town. There's something was happening. So a few years passed uh, and it was 2013 and the planning application was going to be expiring and you can renew a planning application uh, for those who are listening who don't know. Um, and there was no sign of Dunn's doing anything. I had to get a dereliction site order put down on one of their premises because there was excrement and everything outside one of the shop units. It was absolutely appalling. In fact, that's what greeted people on their way into town. Now, that to me is, is wrong and it shouldn't, be, it shouldn't be allowed anywhere. But I've written three times to Dunn's to find out, A, are they starting their development? B, are they going to invest in Dunleary Town? Because generations of people from Dunleary have been good to the Dunn's family. I mean, they've had the food shop on Northumberland Avenue. They've had the clothes shop. They've done very well out of our area. It's time for them to give back to our area. To date, they still have not responded, even acknowledging any of my letters. So I have a real bugbear about that kind of attitude. Uh, If on the main street, somebody is not pulling their way doing their best for the main street, uh, even rent out the units individually as a separate, you know, as a, for cheaper rent or do something with it to create some sort of vibrancy. Don't leave them empty, vacant, you know, for everyone to see. It, it makes it look 
very run down. I suppose the premises you're talking about as well. In fairness, the flip side of that would be 10 minutes up the road. Enough, not in Dunleary, but Cornell scored. They, they employ a huge number of people. Oh, it's yeah. one of the biggest ones. Like I mean, the, the, it's it's a vibrant, vibrant area. So I still think they do have a contribution to the community in no, that no, aspect. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And let me not discount what they've done up in Cornell Court. Mm. You're you're absolutely right. They have a fantastic offering up there. But where the main street is suffering in the in the county town uh, of this yeah. area. Uh, they also have a responsibility to ensure that their premises is both well maintained and, where possible, vibrant. Because they owe it to the other retailers who've invested, smaller retailers, as the same family-run businesses, yeah. who've put money uh, and, and a lot on, at stake. And in some cases, their houses on the line, uh, literally, uh, to try and trade through uh, the last number of years. And 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 Duns need to do the same, in my view. Which absolutely, now it's a fair point. Um, I suppose then to, to kind of move along to, to get off kind of the, the, the local track, so yes. to speak, and look more nationally and look at the broader picture of general election 2016. Realistically, for Fianna Fáil to go back into government, it's probably going to be part of a coalition. What do, uh, like, everybody's talking about Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil as a coalition. Realistically, at you know, ground level or, you know, the, the, the Fianna Fáil Art Fish and that kind of thing. Are, are people sort of saying, yeah, this is a, a viable option or what are the options that Fianna Fáil think they could go into government with at the moment? Well, um, let me put it this way to you um, because coming up on nearly every door, mm. there are some people who would favour a Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael coalition. There's also an equal amount of people, I would argue, um, particularly it was in Ballybrack the other night and uh, there was a lot of calls for Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin, for example. Uh, there was some calls for uh, a kind of a mixture between Fianna Fáil, the Sock Dems and Labour. Um, and so there's a number of different scenarios that people are looking at uh, and rightly so, depending on their persuasion and point of view. But for the listener's sake, let me explain it like this. Fianna Fáil have ruled out Fine Gael. We've also ruled out Sinn Féin. Sinn Féin have ruled us out. They've also ruled out Fine Gael. Fine Gael ruled out Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin. So, when you put all that together, no one's going to coalesce as it currently stands. Mm. But the people are about to vote. And so, they're going to elect somebody in the majority driving seat, I, I would imagine. If that's the case, then somebody else has got a blink and a government has to be formed. Yeah. The public expected of us. So, so you know, right now, uh, I'm not sure who's going to come out on top. To me, it doesn't really matter who comes out on top, as long as we have a stable, responsible government. That, to me, is important. Uh, and I think that's what, ultimately, the public will want. And it depends, in the, in the last week of the campaign, uh, you know, who puts out the, the best stall, to encourage, because there's a huge amount of don't knows, even at this particular time. I'm one of them, yeah. There you go. I obviously have to spend a bit more time in this studio. Um, <laughs> but but what I would say is, hey, do you want another leaflet? Um, what, what I would say is, is that genuinely, though, there's a lot of people who aren't aware uh, or aren't sure of 
who they're going to vote for mm. and be it the leaders debate that they're go- that they're going to decide on if the Taoiseach decides he's going to attend <coughs> and he still uh, hasn't decided no he has no in fairness to him but he he, he missed RTE the last the, the other day uh, <laughs> and then you have um, you know Eamon, Eamon Ryan whether the Greens are going to be even included in the debate yeah. uh, so regardless of who's going to be in those debates it's about who's going to uh, attract and some people are saying as well that we're all talking about the same issues. So I'm trying to be a little bit different in my, in my literature to, to show that there's other issues apart from the bread and butter ones at the moment. Yeah. Uh, and and so it's about appealing to uh, the electorate and saying, this is our stall. This is what we do. This is how we do it differently. Um, and, you know, because there was a school of thought prior to Christmas that things weren't going to change, that the government was going to be re-elected. And in the last two weeks, I can tell you, that mood has absolutely changed. Mm. There is an appetite for real change. Yeah. Uh, and I think I think that's coming. Um, but I think it's just a matter of who's going to uh, capitalise on that. Absolutely. I, I think one of the things that you said there about the fact that so many parties have ruled each other out, but, I mean, people aren't naive. Uh, at the end of the day, there's always that cop out of, it's the democratic will of the people, the people have voted, this is what they want, therefore we have to respect that decision. I mean, is it just kind of pandering to party politics to say, we're ruling out them, we're ruling out them, we're ruling out them, we'll only go in as the biggest party? Yeah, and you know what, and some of the parties are, um, you know, have, have said that. I know, like Jerry Adams has said, he'll, he'll, he'll go into government with a few of the parties as long as Sinn Féin are the largest party. Uh, and I don't think that that does, um, A, the individual party any good to say something like that. I think uh, you have to remember that... So uh, are, are Féin a fall open to being a junior party of a coalition? Um, that is something that we haven't contemplated right now, um, okay. because ultimately, uh, for Fianna Fáil to go into coalition with anybody, uh, whoever that may be, uh, it also has to go before our membership. So you know, uh, that's that's you know twenty or thirty odd thousand people to yeah. to to ballot. But what I would say is, is that um, you know people have to remember that it's you're very privileged to be elected in the first place. Uh, and and if if a party gets a mandate uh, as one of the largest parties in the Oireachtas, well, then, you know, there's an onus and duty on you to do business with uh, whoever you can do business with to, as I say, and ensure that you get a stable government and that and that the wish of the people is, is, is respected because the people have told you they've spoken. But mm. as we've seen with Labour, you know, they couldn't fulfil their kind of mandate when mm. they... Nor could the PDs or the Sh- Greens previously. The you know, the, the junior governments that go into coalition, they always get decimated in the election after. Well, I mean, it, it, for the for the Labour Party, uh, I would argue that they could have actually had more influence had they bothered. Um, and that's my view on it. I think the Labour Party, uh, unfortunately, uh, missed some crucial opportunities to actually stand up and maybe get their mark on this government. Could the Greens um, or the PDs have had more influence when they were in with Fianna Fáil? Well, I think if you look at a number of, like for instance, the carbon tax and a few other uh, green initiatives, and I'll give them credit for a lot of that, uh, they had, uh, you know, remember going back to that particular government, mm. the Green Party themselves were unsure if they could do business with Fianna Fáil, not about, you know, any particular grievance with Fianna Fáil. It was more, could they actually... And that government lasted uh, right up until near enough to the end. Um, and so Fianna Fáil were able to do business with the Greens. That wasn't an issue, and they were listened to. 
But uh, the Labour Party, I don't think, were able to uh, handle or, or, or influence Fine Gael. I think that was a big problem for them. Um, Corrick, we the, the the country at the moment, the health system, it's on its knees. It's being mismanaged, not only by this current government, but for governments, nobody seems to have the magic button to fix the tro- trolley situation. You're nearly people are nearly in fear of going to the hospital, of getting sick, of getting worse. F- from particularly the elderly, particularly the elderly. Yeah. Um, how 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 are we going to fix it? How are we going to fix? Is it being the money? Some TDs say that the money is there, but it's just being mismanaged. So, I mean, it's going on years now. Where a rating in worldwide health is, I think it came out recently that it's like fourth from the bottom out of about ninety or hundred countries. Yeah, well, I think I think it's crazy. Does look. It is in an awful state. There's no doubt about that, and it, and it's not the fault of the frontline staff. Everybody, I think, who's been in hospitals, myself included, uh, of late, uh, can say that the frontline staff do enormous and fantastic work uh, under enormous pressure. It has to be said, but uh, you know, prior to uh, the 2011 election. Fine Gael had this obviously universal health insurance idea, which was going to cost us all a fortune, by the way, uh, and they told us it was going to happen within three or four years. Uh, lo and behold, just before the last budget, they announced that it wouldn't be possible, but they'd need five more years to implement it again. Uh, that is not a runner as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I'm not convinced that it would work. Uh, and I think to get down to the nub of the issue, I don't believe it's money. I agree I think that it's about management. And if you listen to an interview that the Minister for Health gave before Christmas, he lauded the idea that there was 30 new positions having been filled in the HSE. But he didn't say, uh, well, it came out subsequently, that those positions were middle management. Now, I don't think we need any more middle management. If you talk to the staff in the, in the hospitals, they'll tell you that it's the frontline staff, the nurses, the, the junior doctors, um, They are uh, because there's so few and they're under pressure, under strain, there are beds that they can't, that there are there that they can't use. Um, and it's not about just funding. And if you look at Vincent's Hospital last week, Vincent's Hospital had 40 people on trolleys. And it's not only trolleys alone, but they're systemic about highlighting the issue that is happening in A&Es. And so we were meant to have primary health care centres opened uh, around the country to alleviate the pinch points at, at, at A&Es and to try and remove a lot of the non-serious issues for A&Es and have them treated within the community. That didn't happen. Um, we were also told about the universal health, there, health insurance. It didn't happen. We were also told about a number of other I- initiatives that were going to be rolled out. It's, Still no it's sign. It's so frustrating because of air codes... Irish water, things that have, you know, have bombed in terms of... And cost us a fortune. Cost us, I was going to say, the money invested in air codes, Irish water, all those type of things. And it's just another thing as well where apparently the money is there but it's being mismanagement is our current homeless crisis. Now, 1,500 children in this country are homeless as of today, as of this week. Mm. How Like, that is crazy, 1,500 children. What 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 would you what would you love to do once you're elected in relation to the HS the the health service 
and housing. I suppose housing and the homeless. Yeah, well, look, I mean, the housing thing, we've just seen the housing issue just grow and grow. And for a whole range of different families, um, it, it's got worse. So, for example, you know, the social housing, for example, the lists have just grown. And, and like when I first started in the council, it was in and around 4,000. You're now talking about six and a half to nearly close on 7,000 people on the list. When I printed this particular leaflet, there was 1,500 children in emergency accommodation, as appalling that is. Now it's 1,600, over 1,600 children. So is the problem getting any better? No. Uh, is it being tackled correctly? No. In fact, is it... Was it being tackled when the issue was getting worse uh, initially? No. Uh, So what do we need to do? We need to build social housing, obviously, large-scale social housing uh, developments. Uh, Fianna Fáil brought in the 10% social and 10% affordable, um, you know, uh, provisions within when, say, the construction industry was at its peak. Um, As a result, we were delivering a lot of social housing units uh, that was wasn't meeting all demand, but it was certainly providing supply, which currently there is none. Even the likes of the modular housing that we were told before Christmas would be delivered and it was on express delivery and all, we're still waiting. Can I, and, I mean, uh, sorry. Uh, apologies for cutting across you, Colin, yep. but just on the social housing issue, um, it's something that... Modular houses. Uh, mo- modular houses as well, yeah. I, I can't say my favourite name. But... We we had Richard Boy Barrett on previously as well, and social housing came up. And I just think it would be remiss if I if I didn't put the same question to mm-hmm. you, I put to him, and that is, social housing is a great concept, but I I grew up in social. I grew up in Laurel Avenue in Ballybrack, yeah, which yeah. is one of the worst examples of social. Housing. That them houses were condemned in the end. That's how poor they were. They were replaced in by new social housing, which, for all intents and purposes, I hear there's problems with too. The roof. All these kind of things. If you look at examples of social housing, well, it's a great concept. It's a flawed concept also in many ways. So how do we get it right? Or what is there to stop these issues? Just Are we in kind of an eat, sleep, repeat cycle with yeah. social housing? Well, I mean, look, if, if you... I mean, there's other great examples of social housing as well. Um, that, that, like, if you look, for instance, in my own area, mm. uh, where you've got um, Meadowlands, for example, yeah. uh, it's fine fine development, or indeed for the sheltered accommodation down in Beaufort and Glasthill, in which I'm involved, or Rochestown House in Sally Noggin, mm-hmm. uh, being, having been redeveloped uh, and energy-efficient uh, housing. Great examples. Um, but we need more of that. And we also need, and as I mentioned, Beaufort as well, like there's a community centre within a complex where the elderly have, you know, who, who suffer from social isolation yeah. and all that. We, we need to have provisions which are a lot cheaper. Uh, and it's not about cost, but to highlight that issue, that if you have them uh, being helped in the community and being able to live independently in the community, that is better for them, and it's also better for the exchequer. And But back to the housing issue in particular, because mm-hmm. I'm sure the listeners are extremely concerned, as are uh, everybody. I think anybody who's involved in politics, you have to be concerned about the, the growth of the yeah, housing. I, I'm conscious that we, we've highlighted local, but this is something that's, that's countrywide. It is. And cr- yes, you are absolutely right. One yeah. of the other things as well that somebody actually put to me was, they're, they're one of my friends in the process of going for a mortgage, but his partner is discouraged because... The way she sees it is that they're, for one for a better phrase, breaking their balls to get the money to earn a mortgage, but the person who lives next door is there through social housing. 
why have they been preferred? You know what I mean? There is... Yeah, well, there's, there's, as I say, I mean, even under the issue, the heading of housing, mm. as I said, there's a whole heap of different types of housing. And I think the government have failed under each heading. And for example, uh, with the provision of this 20% mortgage deposit, um, I am meeting people to this day who, young couples, who are renting because mum and dad want to kick them out as every parent wants to kick their kids out <laughs> uh, and, and, and the kids want to get out as well it has to be said um, but when they've moved out uh, and even with the rent caps because uh, a lot of landlords increased the rent prior to the rent caps taking effect and I also think the, gov- the government got it wrong there um, I understand Fine Gael seemed not to understand the rental markets or don't want to and the Labour Party seemed to be inept of dealing with it because the rent cap should have come in like they do with a lot of budgetary provisions. As of midnight tonight, there is a rent rent freeze on all rents. Uh, they gave kind of, you know, a few weeks of a, le- of a window for landlords just jack up the rent. And that brought inflation. Uh, for a lot of tenants, it meant that they couldn't afford the properties in which they were in anymore. So now... They're left paying more in rent per month than they would if they got a mortgage. Now, there is something seriously wrong in a society that I don't mind if somebody chooses to rent and choose that option for the rest of their days. That's absolutely fine. But I do have a problem if somebody is forced to rent for the rest of the days and would prefer to buy. And so the 20% provision, I'm not in favour of, I, I'm not convinced of the 100% mortgages anymore. Uh, I think there's a huge problem with that, and I think we've seen that evident over the last number of years. But what I would say is, and Fianna Fáil's policy is, that if you demonstrate that you can pay your rent over a period of two years or three years, that should account towards uh, needing a lower deposit so you can actually go and buy your own home. And I think that's a fair provision. Okay, uh, we're we're, almost, we're we're running out of time, Mr. Cormac. So I suppose we'll, we'll wrap up just a couple more questions for you. Um, if Fianna Fáil are elected and they are successful in this general election, the first one hundred days of government are always the, the thing you hear about. The first one hundred days will do this. The first first one hundred days will do that. What do you propose? What do the party propose? That blank canvas. You have a silver bullet here. You can fix anything. What takes priority for Fianna Fáil in those first one hundred days? Um, well, so I'd like to be different in, in say something that probably isn't on the main heading. Uh, I would assume that housing would be the top priority because in this area we have a huge housing uh, crisis. Um, failing that, I would say in terms of security and, and policing, I think we need to tackle the growing rise of burglaries in the, across the constituency. And I think on a third level, I would say something along the lines of childcare. The cost of childcare, this government have spoken for five years, and you can go back and listen to James Riley's comments, even prior to becoming Minister for Children, uh, and they said, oh, the cost of childcare in this country is rising, and oh, we're going to deal with it, we're going to do this. It was only before the last budget of 2015, ironically, just before the election, did they introduce the second preschool, free preschool year. Now, that's welcome. That's fine, but it still doesn't address the cost for families who are sometimes paying this equivalent to what they pay in a mortgage Mortgage, or rent uh, in the house uh, just to have the children minded. And in actual fact, I'm coming across more parents where one spouse, not out of choice, out of necessity, decides that they will stay at home by virtue of the fact that if they worked, 
they would just be simply handing their paycheck over to a childcare provider to mind their children uh, and that's no quality life because they wouldn't see them so there is something seriously wrong in a society a that comes through a recession and things get more expensive i think we're the only country in the world that everything got more expensive in, in during the recession instead of coming down in price and second of all i think that you know the government who talked about trying to make provision for cheaper childcare uh, or you know making it more affordable should i say and they haven't they haven't done an iota on it so to try and you know between the burdens of usc and all the other costs associated with having uh, you know families um, and and running households there has been a growing disparity between the exceptionally wealthy in this country uh, who have done better under Fine Gael being in government and will vote for Fine Gael again because that's what they do um, versus the rest of us, the squeezed, who are just getting by and the Taoiseach keeps appearing saying there's a recovery. There's no evidence of that for a lot of people and they're, they're still uh, pinned to their collar financially and there needs to be reprieve and relief for them. And so there are measures and, and I would hope the Fianna Fáil would do that in the first 100 days. Um, just going back briefly, I'm just, I'm, I just want to know what your opinion. You said there uh, before in Ballybrack, um, the doorstep, people on the doorstep were curious of a Fianna Fáil, Sinn Féin-led government. Were you surprised at that or what was your reaction to that? No, and it, sorry, not in just Ballybrack. I mean, it, so it's, it's been quite it's, a few places. Yeah, it has. Yeah, and um, and you know, I suppose, uh, and some of them are Fianna Fáil supporters who would be in favour of a Sinn Féin coalition, and some are Sinn Féin who'd prefer a Fianna Fáil coalition. Um, but certainly, um, there is an appetite for change, and I think those people, I think a lot, a lot of people that have said that to me, uh, want to see the back of Fine Gael being in government. Um, because as I just made the point there about you know the the uh, rewarding the wealthy, um, Fine Gael have always done that uh, in government, and I think uh, people realise, particularly in a time of financial constraint, be it in the public finances and in people's personal finances, uh, that they have seen you know the budget announcement after budget announcement, and their pay package hasn't grown. Um, but we've seen the pay package of exceptionally wealthy people grow, growing and, uh, and being delighted that Fine Gael are in power. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think uh, in order to, and I speak about a two-tier recovery, and I've seen that more evident as the campaign has rolled on. Uh, I've come across people who've said, Cormac, you know, I may have increased my hours, you know, from a three-day week to a five-day week, or my pay package may have slightly improved through budgetary changes, but we're still not better off as a family. And there is something wrong there, so that needs to happen. That needs to change. That's no, that's fair enough. But look, we're, we're just about out of time, Cormac. But look, first, thanks again so much for, for giving us your time. You. Obviously, it's extremely busy time for you and that kind of thing. But before we let you go, without referencing any of the other parties or, or anything or, or, or the, 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 the outgoing governments, either either failures or successes, whatever way you wish to view it, um, why should people put a number one beside your name or beside? Fianna Fáil for the, the wider constituencies. Why should they do it for this election? Well, I would hope people would consider me for the first preference vote on the basis that uh, I'd bring uh, enthusiasm and, and uh, change to the way in which this constituency has been governed to date. Uh, I think we uh, need, you know, uh, we, we need a change uh, and that the particular um, electorate would see that 
through the policies I'm pursuing that there would be change and that I'd be an advocate for the issues that I've highlighted and uh, issues like mental health and and, and disabilities and all the other issues that we've spoken about here this evening. Um, But certainly if people would consider me uh, as uh, a new generation, somebody young, and as I say, enthusiastic and uh, willing to work hard and represent the constituency on a national level. That's perfect. Listen, we wish you all the best today. Um, Thank you for having me in. Thank you. Absolutely, our pleasure. And um, look, if you do get in, we'll be more than happy to sit out in the doll, which and have a chat there as well. There you go. Thanks, Thanks gentlemen. All the best. Thanks, Cormac. So there you have it. You've listened to the respective candidates um, that we had on. As we said, we didn't get all them on, but look, you have a better idea now of what way it's going to work for general election 2016. Graham, you said in the intro that you've already got your mind made up, you're going to go one and two, yeah. RB, Barra. RBB Barra. and SOB. SOB, Sean, uh, Shane O'Brien. Shane Barra. O'Brien. Oh, I'm so used to Sean O'Brien from the rugby. Yeah. That's what happened to be there. Uh, I, I am undecided. Um, Still. At the time of recording, maybe as I edit this and I listen back to the people, maybe that'll... And if that does happen, I'll clarify in a later episode. But for now, I think what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to go off and do some deep soul searching and decide what I want to do. The only thing, I, I probably... There's no social so, uh, social democrats in this constituency. Um, there's not, no. 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 I, think I, I think based on uh, Stephen Donnelly's performance in one of the leaders' debates, yeah, he done I quite think well. I would have gave in the social democrats in number three. The only caveat I'd put on that, though, is somebody put up a very interesting statistic that okay. of all doll votes that happened in the, in the 31st doll, so the yeah. last... Uh, he wasn't there. He was only there for like 15% of them. And did you hear what his answer was back? Not saying that I agreed with his answer, but his answer back was that um, that was in the last year. He said the last year of this kind of uh, yeah. run, he, him himself and the other Social Democrats candidates were trying to set up the party, which I don't think is a real I excuse. Don't, I don't, I don't really buy it. Yeah. But yeah, no, it is a shock. And if you're going to be a candidate, if you're going to be in the doll, go to all the vo- votes. Exactly. Like, look, it, to put it into the perspective, if you or I didn't turn up for our job for 80% of the days we're supposed to be in, yeah. we'd be fired. We'd be fired. I th- what, what, what I found interesting with, um, we put the question to the candidates, you know, the first 100 days, what would you do? Um, Sinn Féin would cut TD's salary by 40%. I thought that was interesting. Would they, though? Yeah, but see, you could say that for all of them. Oh, no, absolutely. But that's exactly yeah. why I'm saying you it, could, for I, any of them. Based, based on what they're saying, I mean, I found that very interesting because I didn't know it was one of their yeah. policies. Um, but like you said, would they, though? But that's exactly how Enda Kenny went around um, the last general election with posters saying, yeah. oh, I'm going to get rid of the trolley disaster. Oh, I know, yeah, yeah. That's five, that's five and it's got plan. worse. Yeah. It's actually got worse. His five-point plan, did any of the points come up? I think three of the five. Three of the five. Like, now, I, I'm not 100% on that. No, I'm, not I'm, 100%, yeah. but if three of the five were up, I mean, it's not too bad, but then it's, it's still well, it's broken five, promises. It's not five. Yeah. Don't make five points if you don't uh, think you're going to do it. All I would say to anybody is turn your, your bullshit detector up a little bit. Have a think about it. It's very... I suppose it's easy to point out a problem but ask yourself, have they offered a solution? Exactly. It's very easy to show in opposition politics, and it's very easy to say things that might sound populist, and might sound great, and might sound like, that's what we need. But 
ask yourself, and more importantly, ask the candidate. If they haven't called your doorstep already, drop them an email. Yeah. Drop drop them like Frank said, he's responded to forty emails ex- a day. Exactly. Nearly. Drop them a line on the Twitter, drop them a line on the Facebook. Get in touch with them. If you have a concern about something that you want answered, or if you think there's a certain policy that you want to know where this candidate stands on that before you make up your mind on a vote, ask them. That's what they're there for. That exa- like they're answerable to you. Ultimately it's your vote that employs these people. They're answerable to you. So ask them the question. And as well as that, like that Danny said about the uh the BS radar, yeah, um, block it out because I'll just give you my experience with the leaders debate, the RTE one. Um, I was watching that and I had in my mind this is the one of Claire Bourne, the Claire Hosted Bourne, one, very well, which I really enjoyed. I the TV3 one was horrific. There was, mm-hmm. a, couple of, there was a couple of uh good comedy lines from Jerry Adams, yeah. <laughs> but other than that, the four of them. I thought were a disgrace yeah. um, just shouting over each other and whatnot. but what I found interesting from my own uh, perspective I was watching the leaders debate I had in my mind I texted you when I said my top three performers Yeah. Um, in order of I thought Donnelly was number one Yeah. I thought Boyd Barrett was number two mm-hmm. and I thought Adams was number three Yeah. Um, and then RT did this spin off called The Spin Room where it was representatives of the parties the press officers and stuff like that. Yeah. Plus the media. Yeah. And when the presenter, um, God, I can't remember his name, the primetime guy, when he was asking people, you know, who do you think performed well, blah, 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 it was the complete opposite to me. <laughs> and I was thinking, were they watching the same debate? I think they're looking at it from a different angle, though. They're not looking at it from the angle of, I'm a voter. They're looking at it from the angle of performance-wise. So, mm. for example, while uh, the perfect example being Enda Kenny. Enda didn't do anything that would seem like a great leader in that debate. Enda didn't say anything that was outstanding in that debate. But he did very little wrong in that debate. He done very little that strayed away from what he would have been prepped on. He done very little that would have, you know, given... The Fine Gael press guys a headache. He done very little. It was damage control. Exactly. He done and very little to draw debates. heat on himself. Yeah. And that is a solid performance for Andy Kenny because traditionally he's not great in a debate setting. Michal Martin is arguably one of the greatest debaters this country has or has ever had. But he didn't have a standout performance. He had a middle of the road performance. He lost ground, I would say. I'd argue on it. Joan had a terrible performance. Terrible. I thought Enda as well. I I agree with you, by the way. Yeah. In terms of the damage control, and you know, he did probably what his advisors told him to do, and he did a good job of it. Yeah. But he also showed, in my opinion, in the two debates, that he is completely out of touch with the people. In my opinion, Mm, I thought. I just I because I'm basing it purely on when I listen to these leaders, I'm either nodding my head. Yeah. In 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 agreement, or I'm kind of going oh. My hand is in my head. Yeah. And that's how I purely base it on instinct, you know what I mean? Um so yeah, I I would agree with you about Ended that he did he did well in as far as probably what he was told to do, he did it well. Hmm. But at the same time he's completely out of touch. And John Thatcher was terrible. Jo- sorry, John who? John Thatcher. Well, I'm not familiar with that person. John Burton. John Bo- Oh, okay. Yeah. John Burton. Maggie. Oh, that's a bit harsh on her, I would say. Um, but I look for what it's I, d- I don't think it's harsh when they're supposed to be a social 
um, ah, come on. party. Come on, look, Labour in this country have very rarely been proper left. They haven't had a, a left left allegiance in a long, long time. But that's what their whole it is, but foundation the, but, is. Yeah, no one I agree with you, but Ireland has lacked, I would say, a hard line left party for a long time. And they were supposed to be for the last. And it's only in the last, I would say, maybe 15 years you've seen an emergence of populist left. But their ideas before the last general election were very left. But they didn't get to do well, it. Uh, they didn't because, like all junior partners in a coalition <laughs> yeah. government, they they got bent over the table and told what's what. <laughs> yeah. You know, they'll like, be decimated. Like, I feel. R- remember, it's it's Labour's way or it's Frankfurt's way. Yeah. Remember this. Remember Gilmore for Taoiseach. Yeah. Remember all this, and yeah. then it got changed to Gilmore we'll, for Tornish, so we can keep them in line. We'll, That's what it was. We'll burn the bondholders. They didn't. They're shite. Um. Look. I, I, anyway, we're <laughs> we're going on a, a, yeah, a what's a story it, tangent. Yeah, I'll be open and honest about it. In the, the 2011 general election, I did vote Labour and Fianna Gael. Now, I can't see myself voting. I certainly won't vote Labour. I'm undecided on rather than going to vote Fianna Gael. Um, yeah, I just I think Labour are going to face an uphill battle. I do think Joan and Alan Kelly, so both leader and deputy leader, are facing a really really tough battle to retain those seats and if it's a case that Labour lo- when you look at who Labour have lost already they've lost Eamon Gilmore they've lost Rory Quinn they've lost Pat Rabbit so they are three former leaders of that party and they're staring down the barrel of losing their deputy leader and leader I mean and Alex Boy who would be seen as probably you know in the upper echelons of that party he's not exactly guaranteed a seat either so I mean Labour are really facing a they'll be decimated they tough will. time like any junior party that goes in yeah you know but look that's just us that's, that's just, just that's just us two that's just two shooting the breeze two two opinions of two belly black ruffians <laughs> shooting the breeze and having the crack but look lads get out there and vote that's the main thing exercise your democratic right and remember we're brought to you by Fitzpatrick Castle Hotel I love this place, man. It, fe- <laughs> it feels like home. Just put the heating on there. It was lovely. Lovely it is, yeah. yeah. In the, in the gym, we used to freeze. Yeah. Because it was a big, four layers. big old gym. Happen. Yeah, we used to have to tell guests, look, it's practically a warehouse. You're going to have to dress up. <laughs> Do you know what? In here, we're offering them, would you like us to open the window? <laughs> well, you want the heating torn up a little bit? It's amazing. You want some water? Exactly. Do you know where else is amazing in here? What? The Dungeon Bar and Grill. It's a fantastic place. And what's even better about it is that during the month of February, if you book a party, you get free finger food for all your guests. What's not to like? Who doesn't like finger food? Love it. Get yourselves up here. The Thai sweet chili sauce. All right, chapter 32. All right, right, Clark. Uh, get yourselves up here, lads. Enjoy the rugby. Enjoy the football. Enjoy whatever. It's a great spot. It's only a couple of minutes from your doorstep. The views are outstanding. The staff are outstanding. Love it up here. But look... That's our political one done. We won't be talking politics for a long time now after after this, unless it's to do with Donald only Trump. Only the reaction of the, the yeah, we'll, we'll only do a short House, Housekeeping. Yeah, housekeeping. And uh, we'll obviously be keeping an eye on Donald Trump because uh, it's hilarious. But thanks very much. Uh, we know it's a bit mad having kind of three episodes all at once, but, you know, it has to be done. It's, it's only once every five years. This kind of boat rolls around, folks. So enjoy it. And uh, we'll be back next week with normal service resumed. So until then, good night and God bless. Adios. <laughs>